1: Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We're just one week away, just seven days, just 168 hours, just 10,080 seconds. Well, you know, give or take a few. And then we shall be out. No longer the captive spirit of a foreign organisation. No longer the reluctant partner in a business that is failing. No longer destined to mark out years and years of dutiful supplication. No more. We are leaving and we are closing the door on the way out. This time next week, I'll be wearing a special tie in preparation for the big party. Party taking place in Parliament Square, and I will be preparing my best bib and tucker for the celebrations that will last long into the night until the brand new dawn. Forgive me for waxing a little bit lyrical, but it's all rather exciting, isn't it? And as ever, I will welcome your views and your hopes for a brand new Britain as well. There is much to be done, so let's get started. 0344 499 1000. As ever, we are live streaming the show on Facebook, on YouTube and on Twitter, so you can watch us now as well as listening. Kicking off the show, I'm going to be asking this question. How on earth do you get away with attacking a police officer doing his job using a deadly two foot long machete and somehow avoid being found guilty of attempted murder. All over Twitter yesterday and all over social media yesterday as well, people were absolutely incredulous at the idea uh, that PC Stuart Alton was attacked last August by serial thug Mohammed Rodwan. He was tried to kill him after he was stopped for a traffic offence and if the police officer hadn't had a taser with him, he would probably not be alive today. I'm going to be asking this question what has gone wrong with our justice system? The family of the police officer uh, have been completely and utterly befuddled by this particular decision taken by a jury at the Old Bailey Chris Hobbs former Met Police officer is going to join us as well 0344 499 1000 is the number coming up we'll be congratulating Weatherspoons for limiting the number of drinks served to parents we'll be asking what's going on with the Church of England and their sex ban and because it's Friday it's time for another sparkling edition of the Perrier Awards an homage to my brilliance in broadcasting and you'll now be able to see it as well as listen to it of course as well you'll listen to me Mike Graham right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet And it is, of course, Talk Radio.
0: Mid-morning
1: with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, many of you uh, will be listening to this show this morning, having watched the news last night and probably yesterday afternoon as well. An unbelievably graphic video uh, which was shown to the jury at the Old Bailey, which we have all now seen, uh, of where basically uh, a police officer... In the, in, in, in the course of his duties, pulls a car over on the basis that it doesn't have any insurance. The man in question, PC Stuart alton uh, was being perfectly reasonable to a bloke called Muhammad Rodwan, who it turns out has got previous history of attacking people with machetes. And I know uh, that basically when you have a criminal case, you cannot mention any previous record that the assailant may or may not have. However, in this particular case, this guy comes at the police officer, refuses to get out of the car, starts slashing away at him with a machete, which is two foot long, which he claims he's doing in self-defence, which is one of the reasons, apparently, uh, why he did not get done for attempted murder. He says that he was being roughed up. He says that he had to use the machete, which he keeps in his car because he does odd jobs with it, like apparently clearing the brush. What is he, in the Amazon? Amazon? What does he need a machete for, for God's sake? Let's talk to Chris Hobbs and find out what has gone wrong here and what the police officers must be thinking now that they are not even going to be backed by juries and by the judicial system. Chris, a very good morning to
2: you. Yeah, hi, Mike.
1: I mean, it's hard to believe this, isn't it? I mean, you've probably seen the video, as everybody else has, a police officer dripping with blood, you know, got several lacerations to his head uh, and his hands and all the rest of it, and yet he still manages to, to, to sort of uh, with, with, um, restrain the guy with a taser.
2: Yeah, it really is quite horrific, and as you say, police social media was absolutely furious yesterday yeah. with the verdict, and and poor, poor Stuart can't be too pleased either. No given what he's gone through and, and just... I mean, a,
3: a I
1: mean, he's is, 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 is in, incredibly kind of um, good-natured about the whole thing, considering what happened to him.
2: Apparently, he's an absolutely brilliant police officer. <laughs> right. He's absolutely superb. He's the man, if you were having a crisis, that you would want turning up and dealing with it. Yeah,
1: exactly right. But, I mean, you'll have been to the Old Bailey many times, I'm sure, in your, in your career. Um, I, it's hard to imagine how they've come to this conclusion, really, isn't it?
2: Well, I've also been on a jury, Mike, and uh, it's amazing what a, a little closed world the jury room can become. Yes. And uh, and, and what often happens, strangely enough, where you get alternative charges, um, where you get something serious and something not so serious, one thing I've noticed, I don't think there's been any research done on it, maybe police academics could have a look at it, um, but it often the jury doesn't want to find them not guilty, but the jury often goes for the lesser of the two charges. Now, there's no scientific evidence, but that's just something that I've noticed, generally speaking, and and certainly in terms of attacks on police officers, um, if they get to court at all, uh, of course. And then, of course, if someone is found guilty, generally speaking, with attacks on police officers... Um, very often, nothing much happens to them anyway. Community service, suspended sentence, etc., etc. It'd be very interesting to see what this individual gets when he is sentenced. Um, but yeah, it, it sends a, it, it sends all the wrong messages. And at the moment, attacks on police officers really are going through the roof in number and severity. And this isn't going to do very much for police morale whatsoever.
1: And what about the recruitment process? Because I'm imagining that if you're thinking of joining the police and you watch that video from yesterday and you see what happens to the assailant, you're going to be thinking twice, aren't you?
2: Yeah, unfortunately, as some of the recruits who are rushing to join, and there's never a shortage of police recruits, what there may be is a problem of actually keeping them once they've been recruited. Um, But it's not like you see on the telly. No. It really isn't. I mean, it's, it's a really bad world out there. And it's a world, really, that's changed awfully, even from when I was a, a young PC. I mean, it's, it's assaults, it's attacks, it's the bureaucracy, because your researcher was talking to me about the number of crimes that aren't cleared up. It's the sheer bu- bureaucracy police officers have to go through. And even the other day on, on YouTube, there was a um, somebody, a so-called comedian, he was a so-called, he was a black comedian, and there was a line of police officers obviously formed a cordon somewhere in Brixton. Yeah. And he just went up and down that line of police officers, mocking them. And then in that line of police officers, there was a black officer. Yeah. And he went straight. Well, didn't go straight. He mocked the others first and then went for the black officer as right. an individual. Right. And I, I watched it. And I, the steam was coming out of my ears. There was no insult. There was no assault. But there was just constant insult and denigration, something the police could do nothing about. They right. just had to stand there and take it. So you've got that level, and then you go right up the scale to what we saw, that, that terrible assault on Stuart. And, of course, we, we've had dead police officers and, and officers like Stuart who were very lucky not to end up dead.
1: Well, if you hadn't had a taser, um, <clears throat> he probably would be dead, wouldn't
2: he? Yes. I, I think that's, um, that, that's a possibility. Um, I mean, it was good to see a couple of members of the public... Uh, rushing over to assist, and I think well, I think one of them actually stuck the boot into the uh, the defendant as they were rushing to help Stuart, right. um, and they were black guys, um, you know great black guys who weren't going to stand there and, and see this And watch this happening, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I
1: know we can't talk about, uh, in a court of law, uh, previous convictions from this character, but it does turn out uh, that he's not exactly the world's most savoury individual. Uh, he's been done for attacking people before uh, with a machete, uh, and he's got um, several criminal records uh, to his name.
2: Yes, that's right. Yes, you're quite right. There are certain circumstances where you can mention previous convictions, but generally speaking, it's a no-no. It can't be mentioned. Uh, What the judge can do, of course, is take this into account when sentencing... Yes, which
1: I understand is going to happen today. But which takes us on to the other main story of the day, which is from the Times, which is saying that basically one in 14 crimes recorded by the police leads to a suspect being charged, the lowest rate since records began. One in 14. So that means if you, say, bring charges against 14 people over the course of a week, um, only one of them uh, is actually going to result in actually properly being charged by the CPS.
2: Yeah, I I think the main point of that, though, Mike, was the fact that a lot of them aren't even being charged. Mm. Um, Yeah, I I suppose what I mean is you're
1: you're arresting people, bringing them to the police station, going through the process of of wanting to bring charges, only to find that the CPS is not as enthusiastic as you are.
2: Well, the CPS is a problem, but I think one of the problems is, of course, that crimes are written off even before they're investigated. Mm. I mean, I've got a list here. You've got the Majesty's, I'll uh, spray that again. Her Majesty's Inspectorate of Constabulary, led by Tom Windsor, yeah. the man who said the police could do more with less in his original report that started the cuts. But they come out with police need to do more with grooming gangs, hate crime, domestic violence, stalking, and there's new legislation that's just come out, county lines, human trafficking, car crime, fraud... So you've got this long list of things the police need to do more on, but they're doing it with fewer officers. Um, we're full from bottom, Mike. I think we've, we discussed this before. The European League of Police per Population Ratio is yeah. from bottom. Even if we go back to the numbers we had with the 20,000 the 2010, that, le- that raises us to six from bottom. And if you talk to police officers, and a lot of their time isn't spent on crime at all. They reckon 20% of police time is spent on crime. A lot of it, of course, mental health issues. Now, the amount of time police officers are minding people in mental health crisis because there's no one else to do it, or sat outside hospitals, their cars are outside hospitals because they're inside, minding people who are violent with mental health issues because the hospitals cannot cope. Uh, You know, if they had 100% of their time devoted to crime, you would solve more crime. But they're dealing with other things due to failures of other organisations, again, basically down to government cuts.
1: Yeah, of course. But, of course, one of the things that we wonder about as well is that the record high in knife crimes that we're seeing, knife offences up 7%, 44,771 cases, um, You know, there's something also going wrong out there which is through no fault of of the police, really. And I wonder, I was watching Question Time last night and Trevor Phillips was talking uh, very eloquently about the knife crime problem and how it's very much a black community problem and we've got to start admitting that and stop pretending that it's anything other than that, right? But also, um, we've got a violent society now where people are much less restricted uh, in committing these kinds of crimes And, and I don't know why that is and nobody seems to know why that is.
2: No, I mean, you've, you've got people pointing the finger at, uh, again, cuts, cuts to youth services, for example, uh, break down the family units, uh, special units within schools that I can remember we used to have. Um, all these things have been cut, and on, on all these you have to throw into the mix, and it always comes down, of course, to the police to sort things out. But, yeah, you're quite right mm. in terms of general violence. The gene is out the bottle, and it could be domestic violence, yeah. for example, which is, which is a huge problem, and much of it is unseen. Right. Um, and, and the you...
1: police are under extra pressure now on domestic violence, aren't they? Because if there is ever a domestic violence incident reported, they have to kind of show up mob-handed, to so
2: everything, don't they? Well, you have to, and then, of course, you have to deal with it. And what you've got, you've got safeguarding units or community safety units across the country. They're units that often no-one wants to be in because these officers are often juggling maybe 30, individually, 30 cases at once. Mm. And any one of those cases, if it slips through the cracks, can end in complete catastrophe with a murder or a serious assault. And, of course, then the finger is pointed at the officer. You know, that, that is your responsibility. That was your case, and look what's happened.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you know... Where do we see a change in in behaviour here? Where do we see uh, the increase in police numbers actually taking effect? When do you expect that to happen?
2: Well, they're recruiting now hand over fist and people are going through the training. There is a question mark, Mike, about um, the quality of recruits because clearly people are are being recruited now that probably would have been rejected in the uh, previously because only a small proportion actually get through the selection process. Now, it's obviously a greater proportion because of the urgency of getting officers on the street. So you hope that the quantity isn't going to be at the expense of quality, but there are concerns. I think, Mike, even if we get the 20,000, it it will help. Obviously, it's going to help. But people say, well, we want police out in the community. Yes, I agree. Let's get those policemen out there walking the beat, especially in these tough areas. But then, of course, maybe you need them to investigate crime, to yeah. bring up the, the crime solvability rate, to clear up more crimes. Um, so, so where are you going to put them? As I say, it will take us to six from bottom. Yeah. And we've still lost, haven't we, the police staff who back up the police in right. doing a lot of the support work. Well, also, I mean, on. how
1: many... I mean, I can, I can, even without thinking, I can count five police stations that I used to drive past at any
2: given time in London, uh,
1: which are no longer
2: there. Yeah, one's being de- demolished literally around the corner from where I live, about two minutes away. Oh, uh, which one's that? Uh, I'm not going to say where I live, Mike. Oh, okay,
1: well, give me a <laughs> rough, it's, es- it's West r- West rough area. I it's mean, a it-
2: London borough of Ealing.
1: Oh, okay, all right, that's fine. And enough. they're already
2: talking in the pipeline. Hopefully, it's going to be stopped. Yeah. shutting Ealing Police Station and Southall Police yeah. Station, closing Southall particularly. Unbelievable. With, with the issues yeah. that Southall has, even though. Generally, it's, it gets on well with the population, or the police get on well with the population in Southall. But it obviously has got issues, Southall. Um, and it always has had, and i spent a lot of time in Southall. I love the town. Yeah, Brilliant people, but it has The issues. Brilliant
1: Restaurant is also a place worth visiting. Lots of brilliant lots
2: restaurants. In. No, but there's
1: one called The Brilliant
2: Restaurant, which is, yes, which that's is, right, which yeah. is brilliant,
1: yes, it has it to is. be said.
2: Yes, yes, I know where it is, been there. And, uh, yeah, excellent Well, I was up
1: in Hampstead over the course of Christmas and New Year where I used to live, where I was born and raised, and there was a big big, um, uh, police station on the corner of Keats uh, Road there on Haverstock Hill. That's been shut down, but what was parked outside of it made me laugh even more. A private security car, which is being paid for by the residents to police the streets.
2: Well, that's right. And and down the road from me in Brentford, there's um, a police station that's been moribund for years with a section house, a tower block that used to house police officers, uh, give them accommodation and could they, until they found their way onto the housing ladder and that's been lying empty for years and is presumably purchased by some sort of speculator who's going to wait until the time is right and do whatever they're going to do with it but a complete and utter waste um, and you've got all that accommodation as well and matter might have sold off all section houses where police as I say could get a foothold on the property ladder, but that's all gone you know, with, with these
1: cuts. Yeah, absolutely. Terrible state of affairs. Chris, thanks very much indeed. Chris Hobbs there, former Metropolitan Police Officer, talking about the closing of police stations, talking about the difficulty of doing the job that they have to do. But I think we have to stop talking about how all this is the fault of the Tories and the cuts and the fact that we don't have enough police officers. That is a contributory factor, there's no question. But there's something more going on, I think. There's something more going on about the way that people behave to each other, uh, the way that people are more violent towards each other the fact that knife crime has gone through the roof in some way shape or form and one of the things mentioned on question time last night was that when boris johnson was mayor of london you know crime was actually coming down not not just in london but in other parts of the country as well so something was being done that was right and right now nothing seems to be working to make this problem go away and it certainly doesn't help when you have a maniac attacking a police officer with a machete and suddenly not being found guilty of attempted murder It beggars belief, doesn't it? Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Lots more to come uh, throughout the course of the show, including, of course, the Perrier Awards coming up a little bit later on. Now, you might be listening to the news a bit earlier on today uh, where they've discovered that a rather interesting sound uh, has come uh, from an ancient mummy. Now, you've all seen The Mummy, the movie, uh, where the mummy makes a kind of a bit of a strange uh, sort of growling sound as it chases people around. But have a listen to this and tell me what you think it sounds like. (laughs) Now, I thought about this this morning quite a lot, gave it quite a lot of thought, because it reminded me of something. And uh, here's what it reminded me of.
4: And we'll be into what I hope is the post-Brexit world in the sense of Brexit not having happened.
1: Let's hear the mummy again. It's him, isn't it? It's Lord Adonis talking about Brexit. It's exactly, exactly the same sound. Incredible stuff. We might play a bit more of it later on. Let's talk to Dr Lawrence Buckman, uh, former chair of the BMA uh, GP's committee, North London GP himself, because, of course, uh, notwithstanding the fact that I was told at the beginning of the week not to worry about the coronavirus, uh, it seems to be getting a bit serious. Let's find out from uh, Dr Buckman what's going on. Dr Lawrence, very good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Now, um, obviously, this is something which is largely affecting um, people coming to this country and to other countries from uh, China and from the part of China where this outbreak has happened. I suppose what people are going to be asking you or are going to be asking themselves is what, what should they be looking out for just in case they've come into contact with somebody for some reason um, in, in, on a train, in, in, in some kind of public arena. Um, what, what, what sorts of symptoms uh, does this coronavirus seem to show?
5: Well, the coronavirus, the commonest one we meet is, of course, the common cold, which is a coronavirus. And the symptoms are very similar. The only additional features are worse shortness of breath than you get with the common cold. Mm. That's about it, because otherwise it's coughs and sneezes. The reality is, unless you've been to Wuhan or other parts of China where it's starting to appear the chances of you getting this particular coronavirus I would have thought is vanishingly tiny at the moment.
1: Yes, but on the other hand, we are still seeing people being sort of uh, looked at at in this country, aren't we? I mean, we've got a few people dead in in China, and it's a city of 11 million, so I suppose we shouldn't get too carried away. Um, But it is indeed likely that there are people in other parts of the world that might be carriers.
5: It's absolutely true, and uh, you don't know. So the fact is, if you've been in contact with somebody who's been to Wuhan, um, or, or if you have symptoms that appear to be worse than a common cold, then you need to be checked out. The fact is it's not that easy to tell the difference between this and a common cold. We're just coming into the flu season yes. now. Um, and, of course... Uh, it can be very hard to tell this apart from influenza right. um, without blood tests that are quite complicated. So nobody just looking at you is going to know what this is. And at the moment, the clue is, have you been in contact with somebody from
3: Wuhan?
1: Yeah. And does it have a kind of longish gestation period? I mean, for example, if I was on the tube, say, today, mm. and I happened to pick it up or I picked up some form of it, could it be another week before I even
5: know yeah, that? Yeah, about that. Yeah. About a week. Okay. So During that week, you could, in theory, be spreading it around everybody else. Right. And the worry with all virus illnesses, all coronavirus illnesses, is they're subject to what's called super spreader. Mm. And super spreaders are people who aren't actually that ill, but who spread it around everybody else, mainly through coughing and sneezing. Yes. And the classic super spreaders are little children.
1: Ah, uh, yes. Well, I mean, um, I've always said that my kids, particularly when they were at nursery school, it was literally like a germ factory in my house. I mean, every yeah. day they came home, they brought something else with them.
5: <laughs> That's right. You can always tell a, a parent of new <laughs> nursery children, because yeah. they're ill. The parent is ill. The child's right. perfectly all right with a runny nose. Yes. But the parents are sick.
1: Right. So, I mean, I mean, I suppose uh, if, you see, if you're see if you at work and you see somebody coughing and spluttering, you send them home, don't you? Uh,
5: no, you tell them to cough and splutter somewhere else. Um, they can... First, don't cough and splutter on your hand. Yeah. Cough and splutter in your elbow. Right. Um, and wash your hands thoroughly. Mm. Wash your face. Don't touch your mouth and nose with your hands and then put your hands in your mouth. Okay. That's how to spread the virus. And don't cough and sneeze over other people. Cover your face um, masks are almost a complete waste of time. I know they wear them in the Far East all yeah. the time, but they are virtually useless.
1: Well, they're all wearing them in Wuhan. I mean, you and I have had this conversation before. They actually trap more germs than they stop, they do. don't they?
5: They do. They're almost valueless. Yeah. Um, but they're very popular in the Far East, and if they feel better for it, OK. But I can't think what they're doing. Um, a mask that's been on for more than 20 minutes is not stopping anything. Right. Um,
1: <clears throat> and what do you make of the World Health Organisation and whether or not they decide to declare this a medical emergency? Because they can't seem to make up their minds. I mean, it seems to me that if you're blocking out entire cities in China uh, and you're telling people not to go to work, it's probably
5: a, 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 an emergency, isn't it? I think it's an emergency. Yeah. I, I think the well, what emergency
1: they, so what are they waiting for?
5: I'm I, uh, baffled. Don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. that <clears throat> there are people dying not actually many more that will be dying of flu yes. for example so it's not it's not a remarkable killer this the worry is that it'll mutate and become a remarkable killer and frankly the way you stop these things is to stop people travelling around yeah. but if you're doing that that seems to me to be an emergency right um, so i don't understand the world health organization i don't understand yeah i mean you and wonder
1: you wonder yeah people. you wonder what it is that has to happen before they decided it's an emergency because it appears to well i suppose
5: make... emergency means lots of dead people i yeah. suppose and it may well be this isn't a virulent killer, right. but certainly it's disabling a whole population. You shut, Locking up 11 million people is quite yeah. a thing.
1: Well, you'd think that they'd call it a medical emergency before loads of people die, because that would be the point, wouldn't it? What, well, what, would you that would be the point know? as
5: far as I'm concerned, but I don't <laughs> think they
1: think that way. No. Dr Lawrence Buckman, as ever, thank you very much indeed. Forward Chief of the BMA's GP Committee and a North London GP himself. The trouble with a lot of this stuff, right, is that you actually become a sort of hypochondriac. You become a little bit psychosomatic. You know, you get home and you feel a little bit hotter than you normally do and you think, oh, my God, maybe I've got the coronavirus. Uh, You start coughing a little bit. You think, my God, I've got the coronavirus. You see somebody on the tube, you think, he's got the coronavirus, not going anywhere near him. So, you know, don't panic, I think, is the main thing to say. But what I can tell you uh, is that I was right at the beginning of the week that this is a big problem.
3: Planning for your next trip? Mid-morning
1: with Mike Graham, Talk Radio. Lots more to come, of course, but let's go straight to Stuart Weir, who's up in Scotland, a place where um, there's not an awful lot of pub activity. Actually, I'm going to say that, and at the risk of uh, being proved wrong by Stuart, I'm going to say when I lived in Scotland, I didn't go to the pub as much as I do down here. Stuart, very good uh, afternoon to you.
6: Good afternoon, mate. Yeah, I would have to agree with you. I mean, basically just breathing the fresh air in here takes me home drunk some night. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you know what I mean? You know, one of the things that I found quite interesting about living in Glasgow was that there weren't, you know, if you live in any part of England, you go to the sort of country pub sort of, for, for lunch on a Sunday. There's not that many kind of country, I mean, there's some great pubs in Glasgow, but there's no kind of family type country pubs in Scotland.
6: There, there are one or two uh, more springing up in the kind of, if you like, the, the outskirts of, of Glasgow, and then, you know, get into the countryside in yeah. Ayrshire and Lanarkshire and the like. But no, you're right. Uh, if you go back, you know, far enough, there was no culture of taking children to the pub yeah. um, at all in Scotland, even even to dine out on a Sunday. There was there was no place that did like Sunday roasts and the like. Right.
3: Um,
6: although I I did work beside a guy once who t- used to take his 14- or 15-year-old son to the pub with him on a Saturday, right. um, and he was apprehended by the police one day asking why his son was with him. Right. He said, well, somebody's got to go to the Brookies for me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's great. Well, I mean, one of the things as well that uh, that I've, I think I'm right in saying in Glasgow was that a lot of the pubs had blacked-out windows because there was apparently a rule back in up until as recently as about 1978 or something that you weren't allowed to see inside one.
6: Yeah, the licensing laws in Scotland were, I mean, draconian, to say the least. I mean, they were they were from a, a bygone age and almost a, a, the land at time forgot. And then people suddenly realised that if you have tourists coming to to Scotland and, you know, they try and apply the same rules as they might have at home, say, in the USA or yeah. France or the continent or whatever, then... You know, being tuffed out of a pub at eleven o'clock when you're still having something to eat isn't really the done thing. And and over the years, the licensing laws in Scotland have have relaxed and relented. I mean, that, this story in particular, I mean, I, I'm not saying it's heavy-handed, and maybe the, maybe the, the the proprietors are right to actually highlight the fact that there are laws in place here, and 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 some of the laws that are in place have been there for you know decades mm. about kids in pubs and the likes. But I, I do think that you know maybe this particular pub has, has had to enforce this this rule because you know I've never yeah, I'm absolutely with you on this one. If if you're going to the pub for a, a bit of a drinking session, you don't take the kids with you. Although they do come in handy if you're on holiday, manage to get you back to where you're actually. I think at the time. <laughs> but the 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 thing is that there are plenty of laws in place already to cover these eventualities. And I think that's... I'm not saying it's heavy-handed, but it might just be a reminder to the actual patrons of this particular pub. Yeah, I mean, this is some place
1: in, in Gravesend in Kent, which I can't say I've been to uh, at all, I don't think, but there's a pub called the Robert Pocock Pub, which is this uh, yeah. uh, where the I mean, I guess if they're having to put this sign up, which says you're only going to be able to have two drinks if you've got your children with you, they've obviously had a problem in the past, it would seem, right? <laughs> yeah,
6: well, but, I mean, the, the, the thing is... Uh, Personally, I mean, I wouldn't think there's, there, there was too much of a difference between whether I had two pints or three pints. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, you know, and I, and I do think the fact that they've actually put a, a figure on this, it might be that taking the lead from the uh, uh, driving laws. Yeah, it could be. Um, because, I mean, to be uh, fair,
1: it's one thing to say, well, three pints, two pints, not much difference, but uh, there would be presumably grounds for thinking that that might put you over the drink-drive limit. And also... Um, it might not be a question of two or three, it might be a question of two or ten.
6: Yeah, well, except for listeners in Scotland, of course, where we have a completely different uh, law uh, in terms of drink driving, where you're actually lucky if you can have a bottle, let alone a pint. Oh, really? So, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah,
1: because you, you've got a lower amount, haven't I mean, a smaller threshold.
6: Yeah, yeah, we do. We just can't handle it at all. So we, so, so we keep getting told by our, our government yes. and, and various other authorities. But the fact of the matter is that I think on this occasion it might be that they're actually saving people and their families from themselves if yeah. they're actually monitoring what people are drinking and then watching people step into cars.
1: Yeah, no, I think you're probably right. I actually fell foul of one of the bizarre drinking laws up in Scotland when I was there recently because, uh, as you know, I went to Turnberry at Christmas time, right, and. Um, I thought I'd cracked it because I thought I'm going to go... We're going to go to Asda's on on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day... I guess it was Christmas Eve morning to buy all the stuff for Christmas Day, right? Because we were sort of self-catering in this cottage. And I got there at 8 o'clock in the morning. It was quite quiet. I thought I'll be able to get a leg of lamb, all the stuff that I (laughs) need. Filled up the trolley with all the food. Then went and got a few bottles of wine. Went to the checkout and the guy goes, I'm sorry, I can't sell you the wine. And I said, why not? He said, because we're not allowed to sell it till 10 o'clock. And I was like... What's the difference? You know, what difference does it make? I'm not going to drink it in the car park. I just want to take it home. <laughs> you know, so I had to go. I had to go go back to the hotel and then come back again after ten.
6: Yeah, but but which It would be a long queue? Well, yeah. actually, it was
1: still okay because obviously all the drunks were still so hung over from Christmas Eve, that, that from the day before Christmas Eve. They hadn't got up yet.
6: No, I mean, I mean, the, the, the whole thing is well. What I, is I mean, the point
1: of that, though? What, what difference does it make if you buy wine at eight o'clock or ten o'clock?
6: It's like, exactly. It's like buying wine at nine fifty nine or at one minute past ten. Is that really <laughs> going to change? Is really going to change your day that much?
1: I mean, is you it know? meant to be somehow to stop people from becoming alcoholics or
6: something? <laughs> well, I think it maybe that in some occasions failed a while ago. Yeah. But in terms of taking your kids to the pub, I mean, I, I honestly look upon it as being educational because you, you, you're taking your kids there. You're taking them in an environment that, as you say. You know, years ago, windows were blacked out in pubs, so it was almost like this m- mysterious place that people went in and then staggered out of. Whereas if you actually go in to a great many of of the pub chains and the likes for, say, Sunday lunch, yeah. which is massive, um, you know, a massive business and industry, especially in England, if you do that, you can act- your kids can actually see that there's not something mysterious or, you know... Um, strange about you actually having a drink with a meal and can maybe actually learn from that as opposed to actually stumbling into a problem when they're maybe 16 or 17 and then, uh, you know, and doing themselves some sort of damage.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm reading here, actually, that drinking around children is actually against the law. According to the Licensing Act of 1902, it is illegal to be drunk while in charge of a child in a public place. If you're looking after a child under the age of seven and you're drunk in a licensed premises or on a highway, you could receive a penalty.
6: Yeah, well, don't take them to the pub then if seven. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, it's. I mean, we're, sitting, we're sitting there with the calendar again. It's pretty well, straightforward. You, you need to wait outside. to until tomorrow and then we can take you inside. I know. You know I, much prefer, I much prefer it just now. Uh, although I have younger kids, I'm, I'm like yourself, uh, I, I much prefer it just now. When your own children can take you to the pub and <laughs> and make sure you you behave yourself and get home safely. Um, and that's, that's a far better situation to be in. But I mean, again, I, I would have to say that you know, in, in maybe maybe more so in in England, there is a culture whereby a Sunday, especially going to the Sunday for lunch, as uh, as a family occasion. And that, for me, is something that should be promoted rather than something that should have restraining orders put on it. Right.
1: i got a, a, a message here on the YouTube feed from Tad, who says, I remember a boozer in Glasgow that had thick glass tiles for windows that I imagine was to stop chairs and bottles and possibly even people going through.
6: <laughs> yeah, I, from the inside out. <laughs> yes. Yeah, like
1: one of those Western movies,
6: right? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, listen. I, mean I, I remember pubs, um, you know, going back years ago, where they, uh, the 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 thing was the licensing laws as well. Pubs could only open at certain times, um, unless you were actually in a in a port city yeah. when they appear to stay open all night long and all morning long. And it was, you know, it was famously in Glasgow, you could drink for 24 hours, even though the licensing laws didn't allow it. You could drink for 24 hours if you knew where the pubs were, either around the docks yes. or the fruit market. Well, you can sort of
1: party. do that. You can kind of do that in London now because there's pubs that are opening at 6 in the morning. There's pubs that stay up until about 2 in the morning. So you can pretty much do that as well. But I seem to remember when I was growing up, you weren't allowed in a pub unless you were 14.
6: Yeah, well, listen, again, though, you, you're looking at the clientele of pubs has changed over the years. I mean, I remember, you know, I'm, I'm old enough to remember. It was almost frowned upon, especially, you know, in the west of Scotland, if a woman went anywhere near the pub yeah. at one point in time. Right. And then all of a sudden Coronation Street came in and these two <laughs> women were sitting snu- snug, drinking their milk, stout, right. and it all changed after well, that. Well, there was
1: also the public bar and, and saloon bar scenario down here where you had the public <laughs> bar full of blokes and the saloon bar was sort of where you went with your wife if you were going out for a, a quick drink before you went out for dinner.
6: And the mixers, the mixers always cost two pence more in one side That's of the right. bar than the other yeah. just to keep the effort. But off. I have to uh, say,
1: I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm not a big fan of having loads of kids running around um, all over the place inside a pub or, or indeed in a restaurant because, you know, I've had my kids now and I'm not going to have any more and they're now sort of teenagers, so they're the same size as me. and I'm, I'm not really that keen on sort of having to step around, you know, various children crawling about on the floor, you know, with various bits of chips and things to eat.
6: Yeah, and, and it's even worse when they pick up a pool you and beat you. <laughs> especially, especially when they want to play for money. Yeah, yeah. I, I would I would keep kids out of pubs until they're twenty one at least. Yeah, I think that's a USA. good plan.
1: <laughs> I think that's a good plan. But I mean, you know, we because we, we, we don't seem to be able to handle the, the idea of having a drink and actually having family time. Because you go to McDonald's in France, you can have wine
6: yeah, if you absolutely. if you so
1: wish, and the same oh, I think is. in uh, in in other European countries as well.
6: Absolutely spot on. I mean, France, Italy, Germany, their licensing laws are are, Spain, yeah, are are, are totally different. And if you take the kids on holiday and they see this in action compared to what they have back home, I mean, obviously they learn from it. But again, you can see them wondering why is it different here compared to where we live, and it's entirely down entirely down to the culture because people. Literally, don't set out to go out for lunch and then get absolutely hammered. Whereas you would have to say one or two here, but that—that's the, the, the entire sort of mission that they go on, regardless of whether it's a Sunday afternoon mm. or any day of the week.
1: Yeah. It's all very bizarre. Anyway, so if you want to keep kids out of pubs, I suppose there are certain pubs that you can go to where they don't fit, make them feel very welcome. Stuart, thanks very much indeed. Stuart, we're uh, reporting into us from the west of Scotland, uh, where, as I say, uh, the pub culture is slightly different to what it is down here. Uh, Asenny says, the amount of parents who rock up at lunch have a bowl of chips and stay for hours and hours getting wrecked while their kids run wild would surprise you. The worst part, to be honest, is trying to get them to leave. Well, what's wrong with them? I mean, you know, it's one thing if you want to go out to the pub and and get wrecked, as he says, but surely you don't take the kids with you, do you?
0: Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent
1: republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It's 12.34, it's Friday, and it's time for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards. Once again, the Perrier Awards are live streamed for only the third time I think in the history of the Perrier Awards because you can now live you can now watch us uh, on YouTube on Facebook and on Twitter as well as listening to us on talk radio and it 's now time to introduce the man uh, the myth the legend who does the Perrier Awards. Uh, Mr Con Mendez a very good uh, afternoon to you good afternoon thank you very much I see that you've uh, removed your hoodie
4: yeah I thought you might give me stick for wearing a hoodie yeah I would
1: yeah but I think I probably prefer the hoodie to the t-shirt to be fair what's wrong with the t-shirt Well, you don't wear a t-shirt to work yeah I do I mean, look at me. Have you not noticed I'm wearing a shirt and a tie and a jacket?
4: Yeah, but you're on screen all the time. It yeah. would be silly for me to wear a suit just for this five minutes. You think so? I think so, I yeah. don't know about that. That's my editorial judgment. Is
1: that right? Okay, yeah, okay yeah. then. Well, get on with it then.
4: Okay, welcome to the Berry Awards. This is where we go back over the past week of the so-called Independent Republic of Mike Graham and choose our very favourite moments. And what a week it's been. We've just heard about how children were ruin pubs and now it is time for me to run around the Independent Republic Quite and make right. lots of noise. So let's begin. Uh, Mike, as is tradition, the first Perrier goes to you. Thank you. You've been on sterling form this week. Mm. Uh, you've won the Perrier for Wrong Namer of the Week. You have got the BBC
1: to talk about. Uh, Richard Hall, the Director General, has just announced that he's going to uh, step down from his job uh, in the summer.
4: Tony Hall. It's Tony Hall, isn't yeah. it? Who's Richard Hall? I have no idea. I googled it and it wasn't anyone yeah. <laughs> uh, mm. of No, really. There's an okay. independent journalist. I don't even know anybody called Richard Hall. No, no, very bizarre. Isn't that weird? Um, oh, well, never mind. He's going anyway. <laughs> mm, yeah. Do you often struggle <laughs> with names? Uh, yes, Yeah? What's, I do. The, what's the name of this station? Uh, it's called Talk Radio. Is it really? Yeah.
1: If you're worth 25 million quid, why do you have to worry about working, for heaven's sake? Uh, this is, of course, uh, the fastest growing radio
4: station in the world. This is Talks Oh, congratulations well, to TalkSport Talk for overtaking as yeah. the fastest growing radio well, you know, station in the world. Do you know,
1: I, cl- I clicked on um, a video uh, yesterday that was mm. put out by Talk Radio, and do you know what happened? What happened? The TalkSport badge came up.
4: Really? So it's not just me. <laughs> no, everyone seems to be getting yeah, confused. Exactly. Um, uh, well, uh, now let's hear from our expert of the week. I Excellent. think uh, John Oxford, ah, yes. professor of virology, was on the show on Monday and had his had this to say about the coronavirus epidemic.
1: It seems to me that if an American airport is screening for this kind of disease, which travels um, around the globe because people carry it into other countries, it would make perfect sense for us to do so as well, wouldn't it? No, not necessarily. I'm- <laughs> What are they doing now?
4: Uh, they're now screening Yeah, there you go. Airports. Well, there we go. I mean, you,
1: you book these experts, right? I seem to know more about the, the viruses than they do.
4: Well, he's a professor in it. Mm. So maybe you should become a professor in virology. I think,
1: I think I should just call myself that.
4: Yeah? Professor of virology. Why not? Yeah. Uh, Paul in Stockfold now is a mm. caller. Uh, he was on the phone after another caller who asked for some statistics. You then shared the requested stats with... Paul uh, who gave the reaction of the week.
1: Listen I've got some information for you produced uh, for me uh, here Uh, unemployment rates of both migrants and the UK born fell steadily from 2012 to 2018 uh, when they stood at 3.4% for EU workers and 5.7% for non-EU workers. This is regarding uh, the last caller who was asking about this. Among men migrants are more likely to be employed than the UK born. 83% versus 79% but among women migrants are less likely to be in work. So it sounds like I was right again. How surprising, Paul. Exactly. Thank you very much. <laughs>
4: <laughs> he didn't seem very impressed. No, I didn't think he was expecting any of that.
1: No. Oh,
4: uh, let's go back
1: to you, Mike. Well, you know, halfway through when I was reading all of that to him, I realised that that wasn't what he'd called about. <laughs> yeah,
4: I, I knew something had gone wrong there.
1: <laughs>
4: but it was the previous guy yeah, that had called was about called, that. Yeah, Paul was talking about something completely yeah, different. I know.
1: Listen, listen, I talk a lot, and yeah. so sometimes it doesn't make any sense. I can I you can imagine that's why
4: the Perrier Awards exist. Yes. Uh, speaking of which, back to you, Mike. Uh, you win the Perrier for the Not Quite Right Award for this chat with Edmund King, President of the AA.
1: The AA have now joined in the throng of people who have actually now said, Smart Motorways are not so smart after all, and actually uh, they're quite dangerous. Edmund, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Mike. I don't I don't
2: think we've just joined in. We have been talking about this for about six years,
4: actually. My apologies. As, as you know.
2: My apologies. Well, you it. haven't said they're dangerous before, though, oh, have you? Oh, indeed we have.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I can only say in my defence on that one that you were the one that told me that the AA had come out against smart
4: motorways. Well, that's what the Daily Mail told us. Yeah. So, um, uh, it's not very often we get sent gifts from listeners, yeah. uh, but it is always nice. When it happens, I've got a couple this week, you know. Yeah, well, Mike in York, he uh, wins the award for sending us the gift of the week. Yeah, let's talk to Mike, who is in York. Hello, Mike.
1: Oh, good one. Good afternoon.
7: Good
8: afternoon. Listen,
1: Listen, I'm I'm in receipt of a a communication from you. Uh, You very kindly sent me the Arriva 42 bus timetable from Drax, Selby, and York. Well, listen, you never know when that's going to come in <laughs> no, handy. Exactly, you? You, you carry around Although to be the fair, now, if you do you. go there, you'll be aware that there isn't any buses after six o'clock. No. It's, so it's you it's won't a be a able to take step. one if you're going out. Yes. <laughs>
4: um, Dr Benny Pizer now ah, yes. from the Global Warming Policy Forum. Um, I don't know if he was dared to do this uh, to sort of quote his favourite Julia Roberts film, but he wins the Peria for Prettiest Woman.
1: The global elites love the idea uh, of having this kind of poster girl, uh, so that they can use her to kind of influence people's emotions to do things. Yeah, yeah, big mistake, huge mistake.
3: Hey, I no, thank you.
7: you. Hi. Hello. Do you remember me? No, I'm sorry. I was in here yesterday. You wouldn't wait on me? Oh. You work on commission, right? Ah, uh, yes. Big mistake. Yeah, big mistake. Huge. Huge mistake. I have to go shopping
1: now. Now, the thing that surprises me the most about that is that you know Pretty Woman that well I knew... that you knew that that was a quote.
4: That's because it's referenced in the sitcom. I like The American Office. They talk oh, is about that scene. Ah, I base right. a whole episode Because that's where she goes That's to... the only reason it's that. It's
1: in Rodeo Drive, I think, isn't it, where she goes into the shop.
4: I don't know, I haven't seen it. You uh, haven't seen Pretty Woman? No, I haven't.
1: This is a guy, by the way, who hasn't seen any films at
4: all. I Which have f- seen films. You've seen, what have you seen? You've seen, um... Uh, Jurassic London, Park London, you? yeah Jurassic Park that was rubbish right. um, London Has Fallen Jurassic all, all the Has film. Fallen trilogy
1: you've seen all of those yeah I really right.
4: like those um, Olympus
1: Has Fallen seen yeah that yeah
4: yeah I really like that right. one and okay. the latest one Angel Has Fallen I've okay. seen them both three times each really uh,
1: yeah. why don't you just branch out
4: a bit and see a couple of others I do I, I, I see films I've they're just told long. you, those films are all new, pretty much, that Has Fallen One. Why no, do you always not. have a go at me for not watching films? Because
1: I can't believe that anybody who is too in busy fact
4: spending time on this show. A human being has no interest in watching movies. Well, they're too long, aren't they? What about 12 Years a Slave? I haven't seen that, no. You should. I heard it's very important. It's very important, yeah. 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 Um, Haven't seen that. Uh, uh, Should we carry on? Go on. Yeah, good. Uh, Back to you once again. Uh, I keep saying that during this feature, but Mike, it is you who wins Repeater of the Week. Thank you. What I look like today, I have to say, uh, is a lot more smart than I normally
1: do because I had to visit the hairdressers this morning on account of the fact that I had no water in my house thanks to Thames Water. I'm going to put Thames Water in it, I think, today because of the (laughs) fact that they um, managed to have a water main break this morning, but nobody knew about it. I mean, it's yeah. terrible. I don't, know how, I don't know how you sort of communicate that everybody's water's gone out, but surely there must be some way of doing it. Well, I don't know whether you heard the story, but I woke up <laughs> this morning to no water in the house, so I ended up popping into the hairdressers well, for a little haircut. I did indeed. And,
3: uh... See, you've got to remember,
1: did. the thing you've got to remember is people listen to the radio in parts. I mean, many people listen to the whole show uh, mm. because it's so compelling. However... Uh, a lot of people are in and out, you see. So people will come in in the final hour of the show, they might not... In fact, there'll be people listening now who might not know that I didn't have any water. Really? the other morning, yeah. Well,
4: maybe we should do the Perry Awards Was it every hour. Was it Tuesday? Tuesday, yeah, sounds right. I can't yeah. remember. Um, should we go to a different Have you even show got now? a diary? Have I got... Oh, I use my phone calendar. Do you? Yeah, very poorly, though. <laughs> I'm really mm. bad at it. Uh, Eamon Holmes now from ah, The yes. Drive Show. Uh, listen very carefully and hear, and this is fun uh why he's won manners of the week
0: from that phone within ours. Uh, first of all i'd like to speak to Ian black Ian is senior fellow with the middle east
1: <laughs> is that a bit yeah. that's a bit unfair <laughs> for old eamon Listen, it's not his fault. It
4: happens to all of us at times. Well, he's got a cough button there, which could have cancelled it, turned his microphone off temporarily.
1: But he didn't know it was coming, though. He no, didn't know I guess
4: no. so. Well, there we go. Well, we'll pick him up on it anyway. Yeah. Uh, that uh, the very first word of Wednesday's show, and you might the most pubescent moment of the week.
1: Good morning, and welcome to the Independent Republican. I knew you did you do that one?
4: I don't know you, what happened there. Yeah, you didn't react to it at the time, but yeah, we all... Well, no,
1: I can see you all cracking up, because, I mean, what am I going to do? I'm on camera now. I can't crack up as the yeah, same way I that I used
4: to. And you can't throw yeah. things at me yeah, as well. Yeah, I guess it's well. because
1: I hadn't um, sort of warmed up.
4: No, no, yeah, you didn't do your vocal warm I hadn't done my usual gargling. No. <laughs> um, and finally, uh, a great moment. James Well joined the show, and oh, yes. he won Doctor Doolittle <laughs> of the week.
0: I would like it to have gone grey, but it just won't go. Shush!
1: <laughs> sure, sure. Blimey! Have you just killed something? <laughs> <laughs> now, but, but, I mean, I'm sure I've seen a picture of you with with <laughs> with, with, a, with a beard and, and hair. <laughs> What are you doing to that poor creature? No,
5: uh, sorry, that's Daisy May, who is completely grey,
0: by the way.
1: Right. Well, no wonder. He's probably stressed out (laughs) from whatever it is you're doing to her.
0: He's sitting here, and there's an advert for uh, the dog's... (laughs) I must go to the other... (laughs) Is she
1: biting you? James Wells now getting attacked live on talk radio. It's one of the greatest things you'll ever hear. I must admit, it sounds like quite a vicious dog. Yeah, it lucky it's quite small, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that... sounded like he was torturing it.
4: Yeah, well, I don't, I don't want to um, make any assumptions. No, but, uh, that's it for the Perrier Awards. There will be more Marvelous. next week. Thank you.
0: The Perrier Awards on Talk Radio, mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk. Radio. Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
1: Chris says this, if you can get Con to go and see 1917 in an IMAX cinema, he will go and see more films. It's that good. There you go. 1917. There's an IMAX cinema not far from here, actually, Waterloo. Here's a good one from Charlie, who says on the YouTube feed, James Well should have got a Terrier Award. Very good. I like what you did there. Let's talk to Mike in York, who's himself a recipient of this week's Perrier Awards. Mike, a very good afternoon to you. OK, I'm waiting for my medal. Uh, yeah, it's in the post. <laughs> Cabbage dairy milk? It's going to be br- brought to you by an Aviva bus sometime after 6pm.
7: <laughs> yeah, I will listen to this, and I feel real sorry for that, policeman. I do really.
1: I know, it's awful, isn't it?
7: What a diabolical result. That said...
1: Well, at least that's... he's been given 16 years in jail, though, which, 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 which could, have been, it could have been less than that, couldn't it?
7: It could have. But I'll listen to, uh, I'll listen to uh, uh, Question Time. Uh, last
1: night,
7: yeah. Um, first of all, the police now know how, how somebody feels when they get done for uh, thirty uh, for doing thirty-four mile in a thirty-mile you know, zone. Yeah, um, I, I, you know, can I can't see why they have to persecute honest drivers who've just done a little bit, and yet they ignore the obvious child abuse. Yes, um, and it's it's just sad. But the the question is, and last night everybody there said the same. There's mothers there said the same. What solution have they
1: come up with so far, None. But it's difficult, though, isn't it, Mike? Because, I mean, in many ways, this is a self-inflicted injury that is being inflicted on the community by the people in it, right? So, I mean, in some ways, I have sympathy for the cops because, albeit that they've had their resources taken away and there's not as many of them as maybe they would like there to be, I'm not sure what they can do. I mean, if people are going to go around willingly stabbing each other and killing each other with machetes, what? there's not much you can do, is there?
7: But may I correct you on one thing that you said a couple of months ago, or yeah. eight months ago? You said, like, that uh, this is really gangs killing gangs. Yeah. Yeah. I'll remind you of one gentleman, 52-year-old, who opened a door. Yeah. And uh, a, a young thug, 17 years, who's got convictions as long as his arm, and, and stabbed him through the heart with a stolen screwdriver. Now, you know, that's not gangs on gangs. That's a thug on somebody yeah. being polite and open the door
1: for him. Yeah, that's certainly true, and I'm not saying that every single person who gets killed in this country is being killed by somebody who's in a gang, but the, but by far and away the most activity in terms of the stabbing offences that are being committed, and there's 40-odd thousand of them in the last year alone, uh, is being done by kids in gangs. Well, that, the answer's simple,
7: and I know you'll all tiptoe around it, and when Priti Patel mentioned it, and all credit to her, We've got to look at capital punishment. Yeah. And we've got to look at capital punishment. That is a solution on the table. Don't take it off the table.
1: But well, I on don't the think table. we'll ever go down that road, Mike. I really don't think we will. But no, I, I think I, there I, are other ways of punishing people without having to bring back the death penalty. And you can't give people the death penalty for stabbing other people, can you?
7: <laughs> well, they've adopted the death penalty, if you think about well, it. Well, not if they
1: haven't killed them, though.
7: <laughs> do they know if they're going
1: to kill them or not? Well, that's the point. You can't just go around executing people, can you? I mean, I know you probably should, quite I like to. Beg
5: to differ here. All right, okay.
1: All right, well, you know, maybe we'll put it out there to the vote one of these days. But, I mean, whenever they try and bring back hanging and have it debated in uh, in the House of Commons, there's always plenty of people who want, to do, uh, to, who want to bring it back. But when you get right down to it, you know, I think we are a pretty civilised country. Uh, and I don't think America, for example, is any better off because they've got the death penalty. And in a lot of states, they don't have it anymore. Let's talk to Susan, who's in Exeter. Hello, Susan.
8: Uh, good afternoon. Good I'm afternoon.
3: School. How are you?
8: Um, fine, thank you, darling. Uh, no, the death penalty doesn't work in America. They've got huge waves of crime going on all the time, and the death penalty doesn't prove... Well, it's
1: etiquette. certainly not. It's not a deterrent, is it? <laughs>
8: it doesn't work. And that's...
1: You, I'm, lo- I'm losing your signal. Can you stop moving about?
8: Yeah, if the to the window, they've got they've got loads of blokes lined up on death row yeah. who've been there for years. It doesn't work.
1: No, and it costs an awful lot of money to keep them there as well.
8: It does, and it's not right. You've got people there anyway. Let's start, let's get off that. I want to talk to you about the machete attack. Yes, shocking. <laughs> it is truly shocking, mm. and I've got two ish two questions I want to raise with you. Number one, yeah, what the hell? What's that bloke doing with the machete in his car in the first place? Well, he said or it was.
1: What? He said he was a handyman and that he that had used that. it. He said he had used it earlier in the day to cut yeah. back to cut back some shrubbery. Huh?
8: Yeah, right.
1: I'm not sure I believe do, that.
8: Do you uh, have a machete in your car, Michael? I do not. No, neither do I. And no. In fact, I, 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 I don't
1: have don't... a machete anywhere. I haven't got one. No. I mean, Thank I have you. got a big knife though because I use it for, for, for cutting up vegetables.
8: Of course you do. We all need that. Now number two, yeah. I think this man is extremely dangerous. Yes. I think he should be sectioned. I think we need to look at his mental health. Mm-hmm. Because if you said to me, Susan, you, I need to look at your, um, like car license. I, I don't drive, but if you said, Susan, you know, and I. Well, I wouldn't do it, but if I stuck a machete in that person's head, that would make me a very, very dangerous person.
1: Well, it would. I mean, on on the other hand, the problem with with sectioning people is that you might get Mm. some bright spark of a social worker who tells Mm. you in a couple of years' time, oh, yeah, he's fine now, so you can let him back out again. Whereas (sighs) at least if he's sentenced to 16 years in prison, hopefully he serves all of that.
8: Look, the thing is, Mike. We're all at risk from these people because I think this man is is irrational. I think it's irrational to to put a machete on, on somebody's head or anywhere else just because they question you about your driving licence mm. or anything else. It is not acceptable behaviour. It is not normal. No. And uh, you know, we're all we're all at risk from this bloke. Yes, I agree but with it you. Is, Apparently he's raped and he's done some, uh, another violent He's attack. attacked
1: people with a machete before as well.
8: Yeah, well, there you are. So we have a problem and we need to address it and we need to look at this gentleman. We need to do a personality profile and work out what's going on.
1: Exactly. I think you're absolutely right, Susan. Thank you very much indeed uh, for finishing off the show. Uh, It's been another remarkable week in the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Loads more of you uh, joining in uh, the fun. Uh, Many more of you joining the revolution of common sense, as we like to call it. Many more of you now watching us on YouTube, on Facebook uh, and on Twitter, of course, as well. We will be back next Monday, uh, or this Monday, some people might call it, uh, at 10 o'clock because uh, we've got loads to do next week because a week today, we're leaving the European Union, people. It's going to be pretty amazing. This time next week, it will be the last show I ever do while we're inside the European Union. Because after that, we'll be out. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Uh, coming up next, it's time for Matthew Wright.
0: Uh, uh, uh. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The independent republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio.